Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for what I hope will be a very interesting and informative discussion around some of the latest data in rheumatology. My name is Professor Peter Nash from Griffith University in beautiful downtown Brisbane. And today, we're very fortunate to be uh, joined by Dr. Kahindi Sumboy, sorry for mispronouncing, who is a consultant rheumatologist at the University Hospital of Leicester in the UK. He's an honorary assistant professor at the University of Leicester. Thank you so much for joining us today because we're discussing one of your recent publications, which is tackling a very important issue, um, which is the cardiovascular safety of Janus kinase inhibitor therapy in a multi-ethnic population. So Ken, tell us a little bit about yourself to start with, um, your background and what where you work and what you've been working on at the moment. Uh, thanks for the introduction, Peter, and thanks for having me. You were very spot on with the name, by the way, so well, well done to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, th thanks for the kind introduction. Uh, pleasure to be here. Um, I'm a rheumatologist at Leicester, as you said, um, honorary associate professor with the University of Leicester. I lead on um, undergraduate and postgraduate teaching for the medical students with the university, and I, I sort of wear three hats, Peter. Uh, one of my hats, apart yeah. from being a clinical rheumatologist, is um, I also obviously teach at university. I'm a keen educator and I love all things education. And uh, my students uh, have given me feedback that I'm very passionate when I teach relation to all things uh, related to teaching and rheumatology. Then my third hat has to do with research. I work with the National Institute of Health Research in the UK, the East Midlands Division. I'm a clinical research lead and I cover about nine specialties where I oversee all things research. My area of expertise is inflammatory arthritis, vasculitis, and I look after patients with connective tissue disease, and that includes lupus. So I am interested in uh, inflammatory arthritis in relation to safety and ethnicity. One of my passions through my research role is to ensure that there's more representation amongst uh, ethnic minority groups to contribute and participate in research. Hence the reason why uh, I decided to look at this data uh, in a bit more detail. Excellent. So let's let's talk about the genus kinase setting in the UK at the moment. Um, we don't have forgotten them in our um, country because uh, when they applied, they were still waiting for the results of manta ray and, and the manta study, so they didn't really get approved. So we only have three. Uh, correct me if I'm incorrect, but you have four jacks. Since oral surveillance, what has happened to the jack market in the UK? Yeah, that, that, that's a very interesting question, Peter. Interestingly, Peter, the reason why Leicester, for example, we've had we've had actually had a big upstroke in our use of Jack, primarily because of the COVID pandemic. Um, Leicester is unique as an area in the East Midlands in that we have a huge cohort of South Asian patients. Leicester, the Leicester economy is what you regard as a balanced economy. We do not have any predominant ethnic group within Leicester. So it's a well-balanced proportion between South Asians and Caucasians and uh, uh, Blacks are just slightly under seven and a half in terms of the percentages. So when the pandemic hit, we weren't obviously sure how things were going to progress. And we had patients with rheumatoid arthritis that were flaring. So one of our selling points at the time was, okay, this is oral therapy. We get you on it. If there's a problem, there's a short half-life and you can come off it. Interestingly, because of the upsurge in patients that went on it, they've remained on it. And we, we didn't think it was ethically right to take these patients that have done well. We didn't think it was eth ethically right to yank them off just because of the EMA safety committee recommendations. 
Uh, and hence the reason why I decided to look at the data to ensure that these patients were safe and there weren't any signals coming off of our cohort. So I would say that it was just out of sheer providence that we've had the numbers we've had on JAK inhibitor therapy, but it's not reflective of what's happening in other centers. But we as a center yeah. use a lot of JAK inhibitor therapy. It's one of the biggest uptakes of JAKs in the world. And at one stage, one in three MTXIR went straight to a JAK and one in three TNFIR went to a JAK. I think there has been some change in the numbers following oral surveillance, which is why this paper is so important. So can you tell us a little bit how you went about doing this particular study? Yeah, so, so uh, thanks for the question, Peter. So we, we have, um, now we have just over 300 patients, um, that, well, 310 patients on JAK inhibitor therapy. So we have a biologics database uh, with well over 5,000 patients on biologics altogether. So considering that existing database, we have just under 10% uh, of patients on JAK inhibitor therapy. And we then decided to look at the existing database and see what was happening within our existing JAK cohort. Um, uniquely, all the JAKs that we use are quite spread across all the JAK categories. Uh, again, you mentioned we use phlegotinib, we use apatacitinib, we use baricitinib, and uh, again, we use tofacitinib. When the oral surveillance data did first come out, we had initial concerns about the use of tofacitinib. So we did switch quite a few of our patients from tofacitinib at the time and switch them to the other JAK inhibitor therapies. So predominantly the largest number of patients we have on JAKs are the baricitinib group. So to be enrolled on the biologics database, you are consenting to be uh, for your data to be used as part of research and patients are happy with that. Leicester is a very research active center. Uh, and patients recruited onto the biologics database are happy to be used in research. Uh, and they have the opt-out uh, policy to be able to opt out if they don't want to be included in that study. So we then looked at the data for our patients. Uh, and then uh, again, as the papers concluded, um, no signals for the use of JAK inhibitor therapy for our existing cohort. All right, so this was cross-sectional. It was retrospective yes. and it looked at RAPSA and AS. Yeah. who were prescribed a JAK at the three hospital sites belonging to your university. Yeah. And the study period was in 2023. So all the surveillance data would have been out there. Um, and inclusion criteria, um, anyone on a JAK, um, exclusion. You excluded people with a history of cardiovascular disease. How did you just why did you decide to do that? Because with, these weren't people starting a jack, these were people already on a jack. So we excluded patients that already had cardiovascular disease before going on a jack because obviously that before will going a, on to the jack, right? Yes, yes. Otherwise, that will create a confounder if if we included patients that already had existing cardiovascular disease, as you're well aware, Peter. One cardiovascular event can beget another. So those are the patients we excluded, those that already had a cardiovascular event prior to going on the JAK. Um, so all the patients enrolled within the study were not, uh, did not have any history of ischemic heart disease prior to going on the JAK. And um, again, from the paper, we only had uh, 14 events uh, out of the 309 patients, just um, given a percentage of 4.5% uh, of patients had wow. cardiovascular events. And primary outcome was occurrence of any cardiovascular event. Were these defined as, as the MACE definition or did you 
And how did you make sure you captured all the events? Yeah, so that was defined as as part of May's um, categorization, and um, also oh, we took into account ICD codes just to make sure we captured uh, patients ranging from angina to myocardial infarction uh, to non-stemmies, stemmies, just to make sure we gave a good capture and spread according to May's definitions. Seventy odd percent white, twenty six percent South Asian. Very low black population. Is that typical for the Leicester area? Well, in terms of the ethnic spread, it's not typical for Leicester. Um, sadly, Peter, we tend to get underrepresentation when it comes to our non-Caucasian population. Uh, in terms of the percentages for Leicester, you'd expect 40% Caucasian, about 40% uh, South Asian, and about for blacks, you'd expect just, uh, just above 7.5%. So the representation wasn't really reflective of the population that was studied. And that's the chronic problem. And studies have shown this, that that's the chronic problem with studies in that, in that you get underrepresentation of non-Caucasian cohorts. And that's something that we're, we're looking at keenly in Leicester to try and see if we can get more representation amongst these uh, groups. Okay. And um, you, no one's previously looked at this group for whether the, the ones who are on a TNF, for example, the cardiovascular rates in your population, you wouldn't really know that data because no one's had a good look at that as a, as a comparison. Yeah, you're right. No one's actually looked at it. I think that's data that we are keen to at least explore more detail. But again, put, probably looking at some other factors and uh, to see how yeah. it influences uh, uh, the outcomes of these patients. That will be at least uh, future study work that we'll look yeah, at. In just uh, seeing you've gone to all this trouble with one class of anti-rheumatoid therapy, great if you could, or anti-rheumatic therapy, if you could look at the TNFs in the same population mm -hmm. because, you know, many people argue that it's not the JEC's cause events, but the TNFs are protective. So mm -hmm. that would be very helpful. So you had a small number of events, 14, you there's no way of knowing what the predicted events should have been. Yeah, exactly. You're right, yes. And um, because obviously it's a retrospective study, it's difficult to draw causal inferences because of the nature yeah. of the study. Yes, you're absolutely right. And uh, lots of comorbidities in this population, you know, three quarters of hypertension. Um, yeah. So, and some family history, some NAF. Now, can you tell us if there were the usual risk factors like smoking, steroid use, family history, diabetes in this population? What, what did you find? Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, um, of the cohorts we looked at, uh, for smokers, we just had just under 35 percent or just over 35 percent actually were smokers uh, within this cohort. Um, just under 1 percent had atrial fibrillation. And in terms of regular steroid use, we had just over 10% showing, at, well, 12.3% actually were regular steroid users. Um, in, and that varied from doses ranging from 5 to 10 milligrams daily of prednisolone. And were, were they proven to be risk factors for events, even though the event number was very small? Yeah, I mean, the event number was quite small, so it was really difficult to draw causal inferences because of the actual numbers. But of the cohort that did have events, uh, the largest event was really angina. So again, you can't really draw causal inferences from that. And yeah, it, it's, the, the study really wasn't sort of designed to look at that. So again, I would be quite weary about drawing any conclusions because the numbers were really small. But I do think it's an important little message that 
you know, 22% had hypertension, um, 36% was still smoking, you had 12% on steroids, 7, 8% diabetic. And it's up to us, I think, now to take these comorbidities more seriously and actually measure patients' blood pressure and actually get them to stop smoking, which drives everything bad. We, so we give them expensive drugs, but we're happy for them to continue to smoke. Um, so so um, obesity an issue in your patient population? Would you have had any chance of checking uh, weights? Because, you know, the new diabetic drugs have, have been shown not only in diabetics, the new weight loss drugs, rather, Ozempic, et cetera, have shown not only to reduce MACE in diabetics, but in patients who are just BMI over 30, uh, you you couldn't you may have captured weights, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's very interesting, uh, Peter, that you mentioned that fact, because Leicester does have a problem with uh, people being overweight and obese. In fact, uh, the adult population within Leicester as a group um, at least 60% of our adults are overweight and obese. So yes, that is that is a huge issue. Um, unfortunately, the data for weight was very patchy, uh, understandably, because obviously uh, across the groups, some patients had weight recordings and some didn't. So it was very difficult for us to capture weight in a more, more robust fashion for this particular study. But that's, again, is something that we can look at uh, when we run the study prospectively or look at the study again in a bit more detail over the next 12 months. And what would you say was the key takeaway messages for the um, rheumatologists from your small study? Yes, so one of the key takeaways is that, um, while jacks appear to be safe and there's no strong correlation between the increasing age of a patient and the use of jack inhibitor therapy, which is quite reassuring considering that uh, for Leicester as a region, we have a higher average of diabetic patients within our cohort compared to other parts of the UK. It was reassuring to find that we weren't getting any signals across uh, use of jack inhibitor therapy. So again, there's use, there's definitely more research that needs to be done, but from a enriched population where there's a huge incidence of diabetes, it's reassuring to know that these patients are safe on jack inhibitors and the ethnicity spread is quite good to show that there aren't any ethnicity differences within populations to cause any significant MACE events. I think that's really the take home message. Excellent. But it is fair to say that you may have had a type 2 error where the numbers were too small to actually show changes. Um, sure. So what are, you, what are you planning to do moving forward, either with this study or other comparison type studies? So moving, moving forward, we'll probably run a prospective arm for this study, uh, look at it um, over another 12 months um, again. And from the people that have had events, probably follow them up and see if we can, uh, as you mentioned earlier with the questions you asked, look at it in a bit more detail with a fine tooth comb to see if there are any factors that perhaps contributed to them having an event. I think it's worthwhile knowing, although the numbers are small, but it's still useful data to, to look at in, in a bit more detail. And do you find that your prescribing now, of Jack's moving forward, is going to be limited to the EMA rules, over 65, no history of cardiovascular events, et cetera, et cetera? So you get selection bias towards safer patients, if you know what I mean? Yeah, good point. Um, I think it was that's why it was useful to look at uh, this data retrospectively to see what we've already been doing over the existing period since they had been recruited on the database. Uh, and some of these patients had been on JAK inhibitors for about three years. So it was useful to look backwards 
to see what our prescribing was and to see if there were any safety signals within this group, which is why it was really important to look at retrospective data so that, uh, again, as you rightly pointed out, selection bias doesn't then play a part in affecting uh, the data. But I think overall, because we do have a, a wealth of patients on JACs, we can, again, look at the cohorts, particularly before the oral surveillance data came out. We can have a look at them and continue to study that particular group in, in detail to see if they develop any signals. I think that will be very useful to get. So I, I think this is a very important contribution. Thank you very much. I think that uh, um, you know real-world data in patients with every comorbidity and every concomitant medication um, really is important. There's a very large Swedish study with you know 100,000 patients which doesn't show a signal for cardiovascular risk from the jacks, just like you found. So um, FDA slapped this problem on all jacks for every indication following a study in one jack in one indication. It's yeah. had worldwide ramifications, which is why papers like this are very helpful. And we encourage you to keep getting bigger numbers followed for longer periods of time and yeah. to answer the question about ethnicity as well. So we appreciate that. Thank you again for your time. If you'd like to know more about this paper or any of our other key monthly publications, there are detailed slide sets available and the publication section at the imidforum.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or other podcast media. Let us know what you think. Give us some feedback and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook to keep up with all the latest content that's coming in 2024. Thanks again for your time, Ken. It was greatly appreciated. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for having me. My pleasure.